0: A couple weekends ago, I went home to visit my family in Saskatchewan and my dad was bragging about how he used to keep his grass really green several years ago and he would spray this chemical on the lawn called permethrin and he stopped using it because it was at one point known to have cancer-causing properties. And Maybe they changed the composition of it, but that's why he stopped using it. Stay with me here. My brother-in-law then chimed in and said that that same chemical is sprayed on clothes and sold legally to be like a built-in bug repellent. Now. Huge asterisks here. It has to be under a certain amount to be legally sold and manufactured into clothing. But it kind of made me wonder what else is in our clothing? What chemicals do they contain that we have no idea about? What's legal to be produced in our clothing? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's a professor of material culture and curatorship at the University of Alberta, Dr. Anne Bissonette. Dr. Bissonette, thanks so much for making the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. I think that this is so interesting because clothing is an area that we don't really think too much about when we're imagining what's inside it, you know, when it comes to chemicals or dyes or just the way that it's manufactured. I'm wondering, what are the chemicals that we can find within our clothing? Is this more common than we realize?
1: Well, obviously, everything that we live in is a world of chemistry, from you know organic chemistry to other things that people really fear. But historically and today, there's all sorts of things that have been used. And it also has a lot to do with how much, like the, the amount of exposure that we have. Ah. So historically, for example, green dyes had arsenic in it. Mm-hmm. Napoleon was... Uh, Thought to have been exposed to this because it was wallpaper with green pigment yeah. that had arsenic. So- right, in the murderous green dress of the past, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So if we come back to today, um, there were recent uh, research, like I, I'm a dress historian, but I'm also very aware of um, environmental issues. So although my textile um, science colleague might have all sorts of different focuses, um, one of the things that I find really Uh, interesting, I won't say disturbing yet, but I'm coming there, is the use of bisphenol A, which which we call BPA. Uh So this is an industrial chemical, and it's Rather important in terms of, um, disturbing endocrine, uh, like the, 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 organs in our bodies are affected by it, uh, female reproductive tracts, uh, prostate glands, etc. And this is a type of, um, situation where textile manufacturing has a lot of different steps to it and they use a wide range of chemicals and some of these chemicals stay in the final product. So BPAs for example not intentionally are are left in some textiles and the fact of the matter is we know that uh, we can absorb BPA through our skin. So what is the dermal exposure dose that is safe is basically where we are at. So in the past few years, we've had a lot of different peer-reviewed studies that looked at um, different types of garments. For example, there was one that um, came up about sports bra and leggings that had high levels of BPAs, um, sports equipment, leggings, athletic shorts, athletic shirts, cosmetics, for example. So that affects the world of fashion in that um, we wear a lot of the same types of fibers now these types of sports equipment and athletic shirts that were found had mostly um, polyester and spandex in the fabric but as you and I know polyester is used widely not Mm -hmm. just in sports attire but in everyday clothing so we have to kind of um Rely on our governments to assess what is a safe dose. But different regulatory um, structures and different governments, for example, the state of California in the u s. has a higher um, level of of proof that people have to bring. And these BPA levels on these types of garments were forty times over the California limit. so
0: so what does that do to someone then? what What kind of damage will that actually cause to someone who's wearing
1: these? Well, the thing is that we don't know yet what is the safe exposure. Different people will say, no, 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 California is overdoing it. Um, Different studies have actually looked at mostly infants and pregnant women. Obviously, with infants, we have issues with their little beings, absorb things, and it becomes more concentrated. So there were studies in 2023, very recent, that tested pregnant women's and babies' clothing in Spain, and traces of BPA were found in all the clothing samples. So unless babies are working Uh, working out in athletic shirts, that means that it's not just athletic shirts, it's all sorts of clothing samples. A study in 2017, Saw that socks contain the highest concentration of BPA. Um, so again, like we have to look at the uh, the different fibers used in these socks. Um, other studies have talked have discussed how new clothing has a higher average concentration compared to used clothes. So so people who like to do secondhand shopping may be better off because the BPA components have been washed off. That being said, um, these components, these BPAs, um, can cross-contaminate during the laundry process. And say you were to say, I'm going to stay away from polyester, um, you may say, okay, Studies have demonstrated 2023 that um, they the levels of VPA's were less in organic cotton, but if through laundering there's cross contamination, then there might be issues as well. So overall, what we have to figure out is over years, if not decades or a lifetime, of wearing things that. If in the past we wore a slight amount of polyester, but we are now wearing more and more of these types of textiles that have a lot high level of BPAs, then as consumers we should want to know how it affects us. We need long-term yeah. studies. And we're not there, right? We're just at the point where people have figured out that over the years, this dermal contact can become very problematic. And do we just
0: allow ourselves to continue to be tested upon like guinea pigs, just (laughs) innocently wearing clothing that we're drawn to? I want to talk a little bit about some of the other fabrics, because you've mentioned polyester as being a main contributor that might contain BPA, but what are some, some other options that we think might have some safety? Dr. Bissonnette, we do have to take a very short break, so we're going to come right back into this conversation. Uh, Still a lot to uncover when it comes to what's in our clothing. Our guest is professor of material culture and curatorship at the University of Alberta. Dr. Anne Bissonnette. We'll be back in three minutes with her. We're talking about the chemicals that are found in your clothing. What's in your clothes that you might have no idea about? Our guest, very well versed in this, she's professor of material culture and curatorship at the University of Alberta, Dr. Anne Bissonnette. Dr. Bissonnette, thanks so much for sticking around on hold. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. My pleasure. So we've been talking about BPA and how that's one of the common chemicals that's found in clothing. We don't really know exactly what long-term exposure does to us. It's a little bit concerning. You mentioned that it's very often found in polyester. Are there fabrics that are safer for people to be purchasing and wearing that might be less likely to contain a chemical?
1: Yes. So organic cottons have been listed in uh, peer-reviewed journals. Um, but there's also... Um, different dress behaviors that we can adopt. So recently about this whole athletic shirt and athletic wear scare that was happening in the news we've had some people discuss how you should try to limit the amount of time you spend in active wear especially taking your clothes off after your workout to limit exposure so that includes sports bra socks which we know has a higher concentration of BPAs Um, so that might be a safer practice so to make sure that over the years you really reduce, you change your practices, and you not only buy things that are made out of polyester, but you have a wider range. Um, We spend a lot of time sleeping, so uh, either you sleep with nothing in your cotton sheets or you (laughs) sleep with something that is not polyester, so you reduce substantially the amount of exposure your skin has to these types of fibers.
0: What about washing more frequently then? Should we be washing after wear for pretty much everything?
1: Yeah, but it, I mean, Uh, Ideally, I'd say yes, but a lot of the clothes we buy more and more asks us to dry clean things. And so if we wash things that don't smell or don't need washing, then we're not being very sustainable overall for the environment. So you can buy secondhand clothes that have been washed several times that reduces this type of exposure. Um, You could also try to make sure that what you buy is um, not something that will self-deteriorate for example things made out of rayon or spandex if you wash this in cold or especially with spandex hot water they will deteriorate even more quickly so we want to be conscious of the environment and not over consume things so one of the best things is to buy natural fibers
0: what about um, something that's been heavily dyed? I know you mentioned you know, the green wallpaper of the Napoleon era and the green dress factory that was really harmful to people. That's going back a really long time ago. I imagine that we have some, adopted some better practices now. But are there, are there still concerns when it comes to dyes?
1: I'm not as familiar with uh, current dye issues. I haven't read much of that in the news. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I'm just not aware of them.
0: Okay, so rule of thumb, natural fibers, wash your clothing more frequently. What about the clothing that that contains um, UVA protectant and bug repellent? Are those concerning as well?
1: Well, people should easily. They can Google the, the fiber content and the treatment. But part of the problem is that while some um, garment manufacturers may list what's actually um, fibers in the, the garment that you buy, they may not necessarily list the treatments. So bug repellents, yes, there are some treatments there and you can Google that and find if there's any issues with them. But sometimes, as with BPAs, they just remain in the textile post production, and it's not listed. Mm-hmm. So, as consumers, we can certainly demand changes in labeling practices. And even if those big, huge companies, Nike, you know, etc., have been Part of these uh, manufacturers that are under scrutiny now for producing things that have PPAs in them, I am certain that smaller manufacturers who have not the same kind of cloud are also using the same types of um, treatments and products and yeah. fibers. Yeah, there's and more attention on
0: it now, but are there, are there any regulations that are currently in place?
1: Uh, as I said yes yeah, there are but in Canada there are different metrics used to assess to assess what uh, is it a safe exposure? Mm-hmm. So, again, um, figuring out who you should trust. Like myself, I think that California has been very rich, very rigorous in their approach. So if California is going like, hey, folks, there's 40 times more BPAs in the garment that what we think is safe, I'll go for the individuals who have a very sharp, um, rigorous method yeah. of looking at it.
0: Uh, Dr. Bissonnette, thanks so much for the great information and uh, for all your research on this. Really appreciate your time today.
1: My pleasure. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.
0: That's Dr. Anne Bissonnette, Professor of Material Culture and Curatorship, uh, right here from the University of Alberta, talking about the chemicals that may be found in our clothing that we don't know about and we don't really know the effects of.